This is a story of sorts, the podcast mostly about bookish stuff, and I am your host, Karina Pereira. Hello everyone! On this episode I chat with Stefa Terry about her book A Dirty Word, the creation of Gorilla Sex Ed, and how she ended up writing about sexual health. Have a listen. Steph, uh, welcome to A Story of Sorts. Thank you for having me here. Tell us a bit about yourself. Oh man, okay. So I'm a 41-year-old writer, mother, and wife who, who lives in New Jersey. Uh, I'm a full-time freelancer. I make most of my money uh, through writing and editing, um, but I also teach yoga on the side. I have a seven-year-old daughter, Emily, and um, when I do manage to find time for myself, what's that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> when I do manage to find time for myself, I enjoy, you know, reading all the books. I, I sing. I've been teaching myself ukulele and doing embroidery. I love puzzles. I do baking, all the pandemic activities. I finally embraced all of them all at once. <laughs> So did you have time during the pandemic or was it very complicated to find a time with the child? <laughs> I mean, it was definitely an adjustment having her all of a sudden home uh, for remote learning. But after a while, we got into our rhythm. She, she was able to um, you know, sign into and out of all the Google classrooms. But before that, it was a little touch and go. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of figured, uh, yeah, it took a little bit to... Um to figure out what to do and how. <laughs> um, I would like to talk about your book, A Dirty Word. Oh, sure. <laughs> should, should, I just, should I just explain what in heck it is? Yes, explain it to me. Okay. <laughs> or to so... us, actually, to everyone, because I've, I've read it. So. <laughs> sure, I'll tell, I'll tell everyone. So A Dirty Word um, is a reported memoir. It's um, at its heart. It's about how I became a sex writer in order to fix what I saw as my own uh, sexual dysfunction. That's how I was labeling it. Uh, though eventually I learned that I was not broken. I wasn't the problem. And, you know, it's the way that our culture views um, sexuality, especially female sexuality, that is really broken. So in this book, um, which is built around this personal story of mine, I have connected essays about things like the history of, you know, that diagnosis of female sexual dysfunction. And I write about the medicalization of sexuality, um, the ways in which we are sexualized by others. Um, I write about rape culture. Uh, and by the end of the book, I eventually touch upon sex education and uh, upon all the things that I want to teach my own daughter. Um, and so the end of that book really marks the beginning of my own journey into um, my, my, my present day obsession with sex education. And <laughs> my passion, not my obsession, obsession. my passion. <laughs> that was a slip of the tongue there. <laughs> <laughs> but how did your story writing about sex and sex education begin? How did it all begin? So it started about, how old am I now? It started about 20 <laughs> years ago. So the root of my struggles with sex, which are, are what at the, what's at the heart of the book, um, they started with um, an emotionally and sexually abusive relationship when I was 19, 20. Um, and after I finally left that relationship, I was 
you know, afraid of intimacy. We'll just put it that, but let's oversimplify it. <laughs> so like I said before, I felt broken. Yeah. So um, a little bit after that relationship ended, I sort of tumbled my way into an internship that I thought was going to be one thing, but was actually me creating content for um, an adult personal site. What did you think it was going to be? How different was it? Well, <laughs> I was being called in to interview for a new media internship um, at the Boston Phoenix. So I thought that I would be creating content for the online version of that publication, which I love to read so much. Uh, but I didn't know that the, the, the umbrella company, uh, Phoenix Media Corporation, also owned two personal sites. Um, one of them was People to People, which was your average dating site. But the other one was Erotic Boulevard. And that was a little bit more adult. <laughs> and that's what they needed content for. <laughs> great, uh, great name also. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the idea, so you started writing about sexuality, even unrelated to like your own struggles or your own history, in a sense. Yeah, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing this will be interesting. I've had a single sexual relationship and it was not ideal, but it was really fun. Uh, I was able to pretty much write in my own voice, which was fun. Um, yeah, I mean, pretty quickly though, I realized that, okay, I, I'm reviewing toys, I'm reviewing porn, I'm reviewing stuff. This could be a way for me to explore my sexuality and sort of um, gain some control over it or bring it, you know, it, it felt like someone had taken that control from me. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, I, I, I don't want to have sex now. I'm afraid of sex. I feel self-conscious about my abilities uh, to perform in the bedroom. Um, maybe this is the thing that can make everything better. And that's how I approached it at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just going into it uh, without, let's say, expectations, but kind of like using no it as a tool. <laughs> that is so interesting because you kind of, I don't know, but I, I kind of imagine that someone who is actually writing for um, like a, a website about sex that is going to have, you know, a lot of experience and a lot to say about it. But you mm -hmm. basically just use your own experience <laughs> the way you had it and you made the best of it. That's right. I was like, well, they're going to find out real quick that I know nothing. But they didn't. <laughs> but they didn't. They didn't. <laughs> and when did you decide to write uh, the book? Because the book is, um, it's part memoir, but it also talks about the way our society deals with female sexuality as well. Mm -hmm. So how did the idea to write it come about? Maybe five years after um, that internship, I realized that I might have an interesting angle for a book. Number one, mm -hmm. like I had always wanted to write a book. I didn't know what it was going to be, but yeah. I was like, someday I will be an author and that's going to happen. But I realized that I might have an interesting angle um, about, you know, how maybe I could write a book about overcoming female sexual dysfunction. Um, and it's from the point of view of a sex writer who does not enjoy sex. Like maybe, maybe that's like, this sounds a little unique to me. Um, the, the book eventually became quite different, but that was that was the kernel of things. That's how I started writing it. And I was thinking of it as a, as a personal book with a side of like servicey, like self-help, like a side yeah. of self-help, like here's my journey. But, um, you know, at the time I knew I wasn't the only one who was experiencing what I was experiencing. 
And I felt it was important to write what I was writing because it helped other people feel less alone in their own experiences. I mean, I could already see this in the short form work I was already writing. And I was like, well, let's, let's write a whole book to help make people feel less alone in their shitty sexual experiences. And especially coming from someone who writes about sex, like you making a <laughs> career out of that, I think it must be very comforting uh, to those, you know, going through the same, going through the, the same situations. I um, hope. <laughs> yeah. Do you have any tips or advice for people uh, who would also like to start writing and developing anything in that direction, uh, writing about sexual health or education? If we talk about writing personally about sex or anything personally, really, like many of the incidents I write about in my book, I had written about them so many times before in so many iterations because um, I think I had to. Um, I was I was really close to the story when I started writing about it, and it was like I was using that writing to figure things out for myself. And it took years before I was able to take this very personal writing and turn it outward and make it universal. So I would say, obviously, don't be afraid of writing a lot of crap uh, before you start to see more clearly what the heart of the story is, what the angle should be, what the arc should be. On top of that, when you're talking about personal stuff, and it could get especially dicey with sex, it makes people uncomfortable. <laughs> I would say, um, well, what I try to do is to always be harder on myself than I am on anyone else in the pieces I'm writing, in the book I'm writing, because those people do not, those people are a part of my story, but they did not ask to be written about. So I need to make sure, number one, that, that this is about, this is about me. It's not about me placing judgment on anyone else. So again, yeah, I don't place judgment on anyone else. I don't make assumptions about others' motivations or about their emotions or about their thoughts at the time, or at least I try not to. Um, <laughs> when it comes to writing about sex in general, because it does make people feel so uncomfortable, I would um, recommend that people ask themselves why they want to write about what they want to write about, why is it so important to them? Um, and then ask themselves, what's, what's the worst that might happen? What, what do they fear could happen if they write about sexuality? And if the importance of the subject matter means more to them than what they fear could happen, then, then go for it. Just go for it. Because, I mean, like I said before, a lot of people likely experienced what you experienced and it's important for them to hear that they're not alone in that and also that because there's such a, a silencing around the topic of sexuality i think it's important that more people open up those conversations you were mentioning it now about like the way that uh, people react to you because i remember reading in your book that when people knew and when they learned that you were writing for a magazine or um, that, that their reaction towards you was a bit different, including like, you know, heterosexual women in relationships that, that like they had a, a husband or, or a boyfriend and, and the way that people were react to you. And that can't <laughs> be difficult. Um, sorry, that can't be easy to deal with either. I mean, you start to get a sense over, over time for how someone might, well, let me back up. So there were, there's this one time I remember clearly um, where I was at a party and we were talking about what we do. 
you know, I was like, oh, I write about sex. I, you know, I write about sex toys. I do this, I do that. And this one woman there who was, who was married to a friend of mine said, oh, I don't, I don't need all those bells and whistles. And it, and it seems so, (laughs) and it seemed, it was so judgy. It was so judgy. Like, thanks. Thanks. Okay. (laughs) But I, it also, like a part of me felt like it came from a place of fear. Yeah. <laughs> like a place of self-consciousness. Like, oh, I don't, maybe I'm not wild and crazy and not like I am, but <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe I'm not wild and crazy enough. So I need to justify why I am the way I am sexually yeah. to separate myself from what you, what I'm assuming about you. Yeah. The crazy nymphomaniac over there. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But because it it also um, like comes with that idea of you know being maybe I wouldn't say puritanist maybe but maybe conserva oh I I lost the word in English conservator conser- <laughs> are we talking about conservative are we yes conservative the- thank like you <laughs> <laughs> because you know like one thing that you talked about in the book is about coming from a religious environment which I. I really related to that and mm-hmm. especially because I have the feeling that as I grew up and, and the people around me, it was in a very small um, village and there's mm-hmm. everybody is kind of like religious. So when you talk about religion, most mm-hmm. of the sins people actually talk about has to do with sex. Right. Like in the end, almost everything goes towards sex and that kind of reaction, you do get a lot from um, conservative environments mm-hmm. as well. Oh, I, I'm, I'm not using that. There's no way I'm using that or because right. I'm not that kind of person, especially with women. Right. I, I mean, that's a that's a lot to untangle there. I mean, so so I was raised as Roman Catholic and I don't know that we were we weren't uber religious. I feel like it's hard to untangle how much of the values um, my my parents carried were from, well, not my father, my mother was Roman Catholic. (laughs) So it's hard to untangle how much of the value she carried around sex had to do with her religious upbringing and had to do with um, the culture at that time, because parents weren't talking to their kids about sex and their parents hadn't spoken to them about sex. And it was always seen as a as a taboo topic and um i think a lot of parents even now are afraid like oh my god if i talk about sex with my kids that it's sort of giving them permission to go forth and have all the sex yeah obviously mm-hmm. um there was always the understanding that sex was something that did not happen until after you were married like it was something that happens within the context of marriage Mm -hmm. and um me being the the goody goody that I was and I you know I follow I was the rule follower I was you know I was such a dork um (laughs) (laughs) I just internalized those messages and I assumed up until the very moment it happened that I would not be having sex either until I was married yeah and and so when when I did have sex and it was um, because my boyfriend at the time coerced me into it, my older boyfriend, what I felt, the the first thing I felt was guilt and fear over what my mother would say. No, that's <laughs> like, absolutely. I can totally relate. 
<laughs> it was not like, oh my God, you've taken a thing from me. It was like, oh my God, what's my mother going to say? What if they find out? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I'm very curious to kind of like, my, my family is the same. My father doesn't really care. Uh, he says he's religious, but he doesn't really go to church or anything. My mom mm-hmm. is Roman Catholic as well. And um, and yeah, the, there's all the mysticism around like you're supposed to date quite a few years before you have sex with someone and you don't right. really discuss it etc everything it's kind of hidden and the jokes are made you know because they're jokes so I'm kind of curious like how how did your mother react to um to you becoming a sex educator as well <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm sorry your reaction is so funny <laughs> so um <laughs> so funny because when they came and helped me pack up for, for from college like because I had been in that internship I had an entire trunks worth of stuff and <laughs> I just remember like seeing my dad go for a container that I knew had stuff in it and I it's like I was like like I see myself in slow motion no. leaping across the room like no don't do it um but you know Eventually, I was I was open about it at some point. I mean, I was like, I didn't want to share my toy collection with them, but I was open about the fact that I had been writing about that. And, you know, way back then, um, my mom was pretty much like, oh, this is just a phase. And then she'll go write about all the other things that have nothing to do with sex, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious to me now. Um, yeah, in hindsight. <laughs> because <laughs> With your work, I have of been writing about sex this entire time, and though it's taken different forms and had mm-hmm. um, different points of focus, I'm still writing about sex. But also the way it evolved. Well, it's, right. It evolved. Yeah. And I think she's more comfortable with the fact that, oh, I write about sex education. Oh, I write about public health. Like these are things that seem more legitimate, I guess, less <laughs> terrifying than, oh, I write about pleasure and libido and desire. Um, so I think it's more palatable to her now in its current form, <laughs> which um I feel it shouldn't negate all of the writing I did before, but I'll let her have it. I'll let her just, I'll let her have that. It's like when I, I told my mom that I'm not religious anymore, she's like, what do you mean you're not religious? And then she just told me, you know what? Just, I'm going to pretend you are. Okay. Okay. And we talked ah, I remember <laughs> when I said that I was, you know, coming like back and away from the church, she was like, oh, I talked to the priest. And he said, that's good because it means you're questioning, which means you're taking it seriously. Never mind the fact that I never came back to the church. So <laughs> we don't talk about that. <laughs> that's right. Do you think that uh, men and women writing about sex have different experiences in the way others perceive them? And like, are there, are there men writing about sex and, and sex education and health? Because I, I don't know. I only know women. Well, when I think of men writing about sex I uh, feel like a lot of it is from like for example there's everyone thinks oh Dan Savage with his advice column um, and I could say that um, Justin Lay Miller is another one he writes about sex within the context of research but it's hard for me to think about male sex writers who are writing about it from a personal perspective like I can only off the top of my head think of there's this one guy Grant Stoddard um, back when I was working at Nerve.com, back when Nerve.com still existed, rest in peace, um, he had a regular column for them where he was 
you know, doing, he was writing about different sex related experiments every week and it was a lot of fun and he was super funny. And I think, I think he continued writing about that though, without the, the nerve platform, I haven't seen his work around as much. Um, but it's hard for me to think of any other male writers who are writing about sex in quite that way. Um, which is interesting because I think that that men get a lot of leeway when it comes to writing personal stuff <laughs> in general uh, versus women writing personal stuff because immediately, um, oh, that's woman stuff. We, like we talk, we, we're like, oh, that's chiclet. Oh, that that should just be in a parenting magazine. No one else would be interested and. And we talk about that. There was a lot of conversation around what was it called? The first person industrial complex um, as far as personal essays. And, you know, it was a lot, a whole lot of navel gazing, um, narcissistic. And like if men write the same thing, they're writing about the human condition, right? Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> but if general, women write about it. Then it's about women. Right. Specifically. <laughs> And no one cares about that. No one wants to hear about that shit. No. no. <laughs> I actually, uh, this week I found out, I went to, to research why um, Jonathan Frazen was so known. Uh -huh. And uh. then I came across, of course, the Oprah, um, how, do, how should I call it, situation, I guess, in which basically what he said is she chose the, his book for her book club. And mm. he kind of backtracked, it, backtracked saying that um, he was afraid that if the book was had some connotation with Oprah mm -hmm. it would not be read by men and while <laughs> on one hand this is obviously entirely ridiculous it does yes. have a point because it is true that men might see that a book was chosen by Oprah's book club and just not pick it up and of course right. he should have done what he did terrible but uh, but I I don't like when I read I was like he like it's not like it doesn't have a point what he's doing is wrong but he does have a point this may happen well right no men only read books from other men yeah women men, it doesn't you... matter men we could we could read I mean we women could read whatever the hell we want uh like we don't care I mean like we I'm don't I'm sorry. It kinda, no, it just I I sidetracked a bit because it did come back to that, and and it is in every aspect aspect of life. Mm -hmm. Like no, you're saying, it's true. Like, the male is the. I mean, the you human. see this like beyond beyond um the literature we were allegedly talking about. <laughs> like, so I, I write that. a lot about gender bias, also within the field of medicine, and oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, gender disparities um, in healthcare, and it all goes back to, you know, the research upon which our healthcare system is built and the fact that most of the research conducted is conducted upon white cisgender male. And that's like the cookie cutter, like this is the human, man is yeah. human. <laughs> and this is what all the research in the healthcare is based upon. But what if a woman reacts differently? Whatever. Yeah. This is human. This is what we need to follow. This is what the research must follow. And this is the healthcare must follow. <laughs> like, And you saw, we saw that now recently with a COVID vaccine that oh, well, yes. you still don't have, you know, you don't really know exactly what uh, kind of complications exactly precisely can bring to women. Right. Because we didn't bother testing for that. No. <laughs> it's not that we can't find out. It's like they don't want to. <laughs> right. Right. Tell us about, uh, 
Ah, good question. Is it guerrilla sex ad? How do you pronounce it? I pronounce it guerrilla sex Guerilla. ed, but but, yeah, but I end ed. up when I when I talk fast, I, it just ends up sounding like gorilla, <laughs> um, like the animal. And you know, when we were setting up the website, my husband and I, because he's a web developer, we actually purchased the URL gorilla g o r i l l a. Because people are going to end up just there. in case. <laughs> That's super clever, though. Because <laughs> yeah, if people are listening, they they I will put this in the um, in the comments, of course, like in the um, in the show's notes, obviously. But uh, yeah, that's very clever because then people will always end up on the right side. <laughs> exactly. So, tell us about gorilla. I I sound like gorilla as well. I mean, gorilla. It's the same. <laughs> sex ed, ed sex ed. I still say sex ed, and it's ed. It's kind of crazy how we read things in our minds. <laughs> so. so- Yes. About it. <laughs> so Guerrilla Sex Ed is um, it's an online resource for parents and other caregivers who are looking for alternative sources of information about sexuality that they can share with their kids, um, perhaps because school-based sex ed has failed them in some way. Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> Why? Uh, so, so back when I wrote my book, A Dirty Word, The part of the book I was actually most proud of was the appendix. I love me a good appendix. And at a certain point, I was like, gee, Willikers, um, I sure do wish that I could just update this appendix indefinitely and just keep publishing the book with an updated appendix. And because sharing resources with folks who need those resources really lights me up. I love to do that. I love it. Uh, so the site was born, and the heart of that site is a searchable directory of sex ed resources, mostly books, because I'm a giant book nerd, but also, you know, podcasts, websites, advocacy organizations, and on and on and on. Uh, so I'd like to eventually build the site out and offer, you know, downloadables like parent scripts and tip sheets, and I'd like to offer live workshops maybe 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 that'll start coming in in 2022 let's see we'll see <laughs> in person <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus that sounds so scary to me still <laughs> I, at work people started uh, doing in person things again mm-hmm. which it is scary when you started because you're like it's kind of weird because you want to keep distance but then you're in a group but it's impossible uh, yeah, it keeps it really requires adapting and and unfortunately things at the time that I'm recording this that we are recording this things in the Netherlands are getting a bit bad again oh, in no. Rotterdam specifically so I hope that because they they just also excluded the 1.5 meter rule and the and the masks inside uh, as well so um it's kind of let's see a bit afraid but uh I mean I am just I feel like I've been holding my breath this entire time just waiting for a vaccine that my child can have yeah of course because yeah. I'm still like okay I'm vaccinated my husband's vaccinated all our family is vaccinated but um my child yeah. can still like I can still catch something and it might not hit me hard but I can pass it along to her and I feel like everyone's forgetting that yeah or of they course. just don't care yeah because because people I feel also that a lot of people are like talking about freedom without which for me well to me makes no sense but without actually thinking or considering that the longer we remove the measures the longer yes. it will take for us to just go back to whatever they call normal yes, you know? yes. But, uh, this seems like a logical 
Yeah, no, I don't know. No, people Nothing are just happy. Sense. Like everybody's happy when the masks just went out, and I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh uh. no, oh no. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but yeah, maybe, maybe, um, <laughs> maybe in 2022. <laughs> that will be something to look forward to. <laughs> I just keep thinking. I, I, can't, I keep telling everyone 2022, but that's what we all said about 2021. We're like 2020, not 21. It's all going to be better then. <laughs> so at some point, at some point. <laughs> um, besides writing, you are also a yoga teacher. Do you want to tell me how that happened? <clears throat> the relationship between the work you do with your writing and yoga. I feel like there's, there's, I, you, I mean, it feels like there shouldn't be layers, but there are layers. <laughs> so uh, I started practicing yoga at a difficult time in my life. Uh, my husband and I were trying to get pregnant and we're not having a lot of luck. <laughs> um, and things were getting a little dicey between the two of us. And mm -hmm. we, we almost separated at that point. But when I, went to my first yoga class, I wasn't thinking, oh, this is gonna help me feel better because my life is a shit show. Um, oh. <laughs> I was thinking, I want to look really cute in skinny jeans. Oh, <laughs> that's a great motivation. I mean, why not? <laughs> exactly. Um, and now that I live in leggings, I'm like, yes, yoga. Um, I chose the right thing. <laughs> but like, really quickly, Number one, I, I, I realized that yoga was help. Like when I started trying to get pregnant, I tossed all my antidepressants and my anti-anxiety meds into the trash. And I was like, oh, I'm going to get pregnant so soon. And I, want, I won't want this in my system. <laughs> and then I just never went back on it. So yeah. that might have contributed to the turmoil within my marriage. But yeah. who knows? <laughs> uh, but I, I found that, that yoga really helped me feel a lot more stable mentally and emotionally so that was one that was one thing but it also helped me develop this um body awareness that i had not had before and it was just really it was really interesting and at the time i mean on top of everything else on top of everything else i used to have i used to experience pain during intercourse Mm -hmm. And <laughs> I didn't know, like, you know, medical professionals weren't very helpful. Oh, yeah, um, no. You know, we, no. you know, they, no. you're surprised. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I found that um, in gaining an awareness of my body in, and in gaining an ability to relax the parts of my body that were tensing up and probably contributing to my pain, the pain eventually went away like wow. magic. <laughs> and um, do you think it was both mental, uh, like body, of course, but also mental? I mean, all of these things are, I mean, it's usually when we, when we grapple the, with these things in the bedroom, they're usually biopsychosocial. So it's a biological issue a cultural issue it's mm -hmm. a psychological issue there's so many layers to what could be going on everything affects the other thing they all affect each other and it's interesting how so many of us don't have a strong body awareness we're very disconnected from our bodies and when it comes to sex we're not encouraged i'm losing my voice 
we're not encouraged to develop that familiarity with our bodies. So for me, though, it's certainly, you know, not the purpose of yoga. Um, it definitely affected the relationship I had to my body and by extension, the relationship I had to my sexuality. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does perfectly it. <laughs> sense. But that, that's why I was also asking because like knowing what you write about and knowing that you're a yoga teacher and, and especially you have a newsletter, just mm-hmm. thunder thunder thighs thunder thighs I thought just want to make sure I knew it um and when you when like I got your I think last newsletter it was Mm -hmm. yeah for me it was um I kind of started thinking about it like does uh is it also a relationship between the two things because obviously yoga is so much mental as it is physical Mm -hmm. and sometimes I think people like you you went into yoga expecting one thing that was maybe more (laughs) bodily Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> More physical. Shallow. Then... Is that what we're saying? <laughs> it's shallow. I think, I mean, you use what you, the thing, the tools you use for what you want. That's, that's perfectly acceptable. Yes. But then it kind of surprises you in other ways. And that's No, it's great. true. It's true. And you know what? The, there's, um, people use yoga as, as a form of healing from trauma, which is why we have trauma-informed yoga as well. And and I think it's, I think it's such a perfect tool for that. And eventually, when when things are less twenty twenty one, one of the things I do hope to offer are yoga sex ed workshops, where where I want us to sort of work at developing that connection to our bodies and interrogating you know, the feelings we have about our bodies and the feelings we have about our sexuality. And then, you know, going from there to maybe have these larger conversations about sex. So that's, you know, we'll see. I I just crossed my fingers like people could see that. (laughs) Fingers crossed. (laughs) Fingers crossed for that. Yeah, no, it seems because it seems so interesting to also develop that because like you said, you started writing basically yeah as a way to deal with trauma and to understand your trauma and mm-hmm. people sometimes don't understand that because they just look at the sex part of it it's like oh right. sex, you know scary and oh uh, my god she's doing all the things and, in the yeah. bedroom yeah and it's she wants just, it all the time <laughs> and knowing your body can be so important for so many things including mm-hmm. that and including pleasure of course which is yeah. also important obviously um so what other what other projects are you involved in tell me all oh, you're god. doing at the time Oh God. We have to I mean <laughs> I am I mean, I'm still writing. I'm still writing creatively and I'm still writing as a journalist. So all the short form stuff. Um, I managed to keep myself busy. I am the essays editor for Hippocampus magazine, which is a literary magazine that is uh devoted to creative nonfiction. So so that takes that takes up a little bit of time. Um <laughs> Right now, I'm on the planning committee for the National Sex Ed Conference, which is coming up soon. It will probably have happened already, but by the time everyone hears this. Is this like, is that, do you do like an annual thing? It is. It's an annual conference. It happens in in December. So come next year, everyone. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be published like in 2022 anyway. So yeah, yeah. No, we'll we'll be planning for the next one. And um, beyond that and beyond growing Gorilla Sex Ed, uh, I'm actually putting together, I didn't think I was 
going to write another book, but I'm putting together an anthology proposal with some writer friends of mine and, and we'll see what comes of it. I don't, I don't want to reveal anything, but I am super excited about it. So we'll see. Also, going, fingers crossed. I was going to ask, can you reveal anything about it? But it's still very, very nice. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't. <laughs> so the I don't, I don't want to <laughs> presume when I have like a team I'm working with, they're going to be like, Stephanie, why do you say that? <laughs> So the, the following question is, where can people find you and those projects online? So my professional site is stephauteri.com. And on that site, you'll see a link to my newsletter, my tiny letter, which is called Thunder Thighs. Amazing uh, name. <laughs> thank you. I'm also on both Instagram and Twitter at Steph Autieri. I'm I am more active on Instagram these days. And of course, there's guerrillasexed.org, and I have a Substack newsletter that goes along with that. And the, the link for that is also obviously on the homepage of that site. I think those are all the things. We'll, we'll ignore Facebook. Let's just push that to the side. What's Facebook? No, I'm kidding. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I am I'm leaving Facebook. Like, I'm just using Facebook less and less for some reason. I mean, not for some reason. I know the reasons. I'm just not re really. The only it. reason I ever signed up was because my sister-in-law posted incriminating photos of me from my bachelorette party <gasps> when I was super <laughs> wasted. And I was like, I, need to I gotta see, defend my own. My I need honor. to see what's up here, and I just never left. But it's, it's like I'm barely on there. <laughs> yeah, I have like I have, you know you have friends and family there, and there there isn't a specific reason to just let go. But it's like right. I just you know I, I and go publishers yeah. publishers don't like it when you're not on Facebook. They oh, want okay. you to be on Facebook. They want you to be on Goodreads. They want you to be on BookBub. They want you to be on every single social wow. media platform. God forbid they ask me to get on TikTok. Forget it. I'm going to draw the line. I'll watch TikToks. I'll watch the TikToks of others. I am not cool enough to be on TikTok. <laughs> well, I disagree because I'm not cool at all and I'm there. Are you there? <laughs> well, I'm there. sure you're, I mean... <laughs> I don't think video is my is my ideal medium. <laughs> no, me neither. Like that's why I only post like one video every month or something. Which is oh, when really? I when I look at myself in the video, I'm like, yeah, it's 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 okay. It's not good enough for yeah. video, but it's fine. <laughs> I have like the occasional videos on Instagram, like ridiculous ukulele videos. If, <laughs> if your viewers want really terrible ukulele videos and like me baking with my child, that's I'm the here place. for you. <laughs> Because I do think people get more engagement if they show their face. Yeah. yeah. But then again, true. there's a reason why I have a podcast and I will continue. <laughs> <laughs> that makes total sense so, to me. There you go. Video is not my thing. But I do think TikTok is funny and fun. But um, the fact that like publishers actually ask you to be a part of it rather than having to be a choice, that's a lot of pressure. Well, no, when it's yeah. forced, I think that people yeah. can tell. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because you're just going to create something. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, I've been told to do this. <laughs> mm. um, now, this is the last question of the podcast, always. And it's an all-time favorite book and a book you would recommend right now. Okay, first of all, the first half of that question is terrible because how... Everybody gets upset with me. <laughs> so terrible. So, okay, well, when I was growing up, my favorite book was Michael N's The NeverEnding Story. Okay. and I have read it so many times and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put that as my all-time favorite book because if I think about all the books I have read in recent years 
I will collapse into a heap of overwhelm and but, I can't do it. But I do think it's what happens when like someone asks you for a recommendation and you immediately freeze. Many. I was, I'm like, can I bring up my spreadsheet and like, can I? <laughs> but what do you like exactly? Oh, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I forgot that. Did I ever read? <laughs> I think the only other book that maybe has rivaled the never ending story in terms of rereads is Stephen King's It. Oh, okay. And I'm a big horror person. And so that book, I, I have read at least 20 times. Okay. Um, yeah. So as for what I'm reading now and what I would recommend now, I, I'm reading two books at the moment, and I would recommend both of them. I am rereading Becky Cooper's uh, We Keep the Dead Close. Is that the title? We Keep the Dead Close, I think so. Let me, yes which is a true crime book. Uh, I read an e-galley of it about a year ago and I loved it so much. Mm -hmm. And um, I just received a copy in my latest feminist book club box. And I'm so delighted to have a hard copy of the book and I'm absolutely reading it again. And it's still just as good as it was a year ago. <laughs> so I would recommend that. Plus I'm at the end of an e-galley for Claire Coda's woman eating which is billed as a millennial vampire story <laughs> that's i mean i'm sorry when you said woman eating i thought it was going to be about food i mean like but it's an interesting. thing but it's, it's better yeah no it's better <laughs> and it's really interesting because this is a vampire who who wishes she could taste the foods and enjoy the foods that humans eat and Okay, I gotta, I gotta take a look at that. Yes, no, it's so good. Wow, because I do have this conversation sometimes with people about like who would like to become immortal or not. Mm -hmm. But then which kind of like what are, okay, you become immortal, but what are the, the what, you know, it's not, everything is possible. Right, the pro-con list, the pro-con yeah. list. And this, this, uh, this vampire is just at war within herself between her vampire side and her human side. I can't, there, 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 I'm fully in screen. They can't see. They don't know. Um, she's at her vampire side and her human side are at war with each other, and you know, one and food is is the largest way in which it manifests for her. Wow. It's yes, I am fun. sorry. I'm just thinking that yes, yes, I, yeah, I want it. I definitely am going to search for it. And yeah. also, I've been also um, lately reading more horror because mm, I was not a horror person because huh. I thought I was going to be very scared of the book. Huh? But, then but that's why. That's good. No, but the opposite happened. I was reading, like, I read The Shining. Uh -huh. And I was like, this, this isn't scared, scary at all. I'm just afraid mm -hmm. of being afraid, basically. But then I got to the end of the book and it's not scary at all. So I started to become a bit disappointed. And then uh -huh. I read The Only Good Indians by Stephen oh, okay. Graham Jones. Jones mm -hmm. And I was like, and then like tender is the flesh uh and then i was like okay i know what kind of horror i like right no because there's so many different types of horror and yeah. some of it is just cheesy and some of it's just fun and some of it you like shouldn't read if you're home alone yeah. at night 
because nope. then you will have nightmares. Yes. And, and those are my favorite ones. Those but are my I, favorite. <laughs> I still have to find like something that really scares the bejesus out of me because yeah. I have I found the things that is like this really gory. So like or this is like really good for one reason or another because uh-huh. it's so you know it's so clever. But I haven't yet found the scary one. So I'm uh, but I'm going through a list. So <laughs> I have to go through uh, my spreadsheet. Because you, you talked about uh, <laughs> it and like I haven't read anything else by Stephen King since uh, I think um oh uh, Carrie so I okay. read The Shining and then I read Carrie but yeah Carrie, Carrie was, was also... one of the first ones I read back I... in junior high but um, I didn't think it was Carrie it was just like you know for me it was actually kind of cool <laughs> yeah I, mean, I like yes. that kind of stuff uh-huh so I'm mm-hmm. still I'm still um searching for that so you talked about it and I was like maybe I should give Stephen, Stephen King yeah yeah try. it and The Stand are my two favorites and they're like among the largest of his, like his huge doorstopper book. I know everyone complains that he really needs to be edited and someone needs to edit him. And okay, fine. But I love them because I'm like, I don't want it. Oh my God. Do you know what actually terrified me? Um, Because, well, I'll just say Chuck Wendig. Oh, Jesus Christ. Was it called Wanderers? A friend told me she was reading this book and she's like, but I can't finish it because it's too scary because it's too scary because it's too close to like fears around the pandemic and blah 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 so chuck wendig wanderers she was like you finish it so you can tell me what happens and then i told her she's like oh no it's even worse than i imagined (laughs) so she's asking like someone who can test it out for her (laughs) that's right Well, maybe it's a good reason to check it out then. <laughs> you like it. Go for it. Right? Go. I, I, did, I enjoyed it very much. Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, so we got a, um, a few a whole more. grab bag. Yeah. I like totally broke the rules of what's the one book. <laughs> Everybody does because I also say that you can. Because sometimes people look at me like in a sense like, is is she, does she like books? And she's asking these <laughs> questions. So she you knows know, exactly say, what she's doing. Yeah, but I'm like, okay, you can choose like you know four or five. Just don't go for the twenty, <laughs> but but you can choose a few. It's fine, especially because then people get uh, get a few um, um, advice on on what to read, and that's always fun. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, Steph, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. And thank you. Yeah, we will. Um, I will put all the links on the show's notes so people know where to find you online. Cool. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to me. (laughs) Thank Thank you you for listening to this podcast. (laughs) It wasn't. It was great. (laughs) You can access today's show's notes via my pod page, which you can find along with all of my social media links at linktree slash Karina Pereira. If you have enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting A Story of Sorts on Patreon. Patreon is a platform which allows you to contribute monthly to the podcast in exchange for extra content such as early access to episodes, a shout out at the end of an episode and on Instagram, and choosing a theme for me to talk about on the podcast. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash a story of sorts. Leaving a review would also be highly appreciated. Don't forget to subscribe to get a notification when the next episode hits. I'll talk to you then, and thank you for listening.